Well, good morning. Good morning in the start up, up there in the, well, yeah, yo, people on the tape won't know that. Yo, folks, it's the first time I've actually preached, um, as it were, with the, with the upstairs tier there, you know, so I've got to learn to look up and not just look down. Well, it's good to see you all. We've had uh, quite a busy week. My car, if I were to put it into automatic, it could just drive here. Because we live in Dunstable. We just seem to be going up and down. We were on a Monday night for the store. And we were here, uh, for, I think, all day Saturday for the Holy Spirit Day. And that was great. Then I kind of had to go home and finish off the preparation for this. Um, you know, my wife says, oh, so you are living there, yeah? <laughs> but it, it's great. It's such a privilege and an honor to be able to uh, minister the word to you. And as you know, we're into this series uh, that uh, we've been called Beyond. Last week, Chris looked at how we give in God's kingdom. He looked at the whole issue of money. And what he challenged us to say really was that if you're going to be a devoted follower of Jesus, you need to look at three key things. How you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your money, and how you're going to spend your energy. Well, this morning, we're going to look at how we can develop our prayer life, how we can go deeper. Now... (laughs) You know, the minute you mention, you mention prayer, people go, because we all know that we should pray more than we do. However, let me read you a quote from a gentleman from the 19th century. His name was E.M. Bounds, a New England preacher. And this is what he said. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods. But men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, mighty in prayer. That's Ian Bounds' first book, Power Through Prayer. Now, let me just say about Ian Bounds, he wrote a number of books. He wrote, you know, The Weapon of Prayer, The Prayer and Its Prayer and Possibilities of Prayer. It's scary stuff. Because once you read the book, you think, mercy, I don't pray like that. Only I can do a mercy like that, can I? <laughs> yeah, it, it challenges you, you feel condemned, but that's not the thing. There's a, he's, it's a great book, great books to read, because it takes praying beyond just saying words. However, as I said, the mention of prayer generally fills most Christians with a sense of kind of regret and dis-ease. Because we know that we don't pray enough. However, What we're going to do is look at a model of prayer that Jesus left for us and draw out some points, some PowerPoints that will help us move beyond seeing prayer as a religious duty. And you know, Rick dealt with that whole issue of duty. I didn't catch the whole sermon, but the feedback I got was like, you know, if it's duty, then why are we doing it? And prayer is one of those things that, five o'clock, it is time to pray. You know, so you get from your bed and you start praying. And then you don't remember what you were praying about. It's 5.30. What happened? A sulfurific spirit came upon you. You fell asleep. <laughs> now you feel bad because you, sh- you got up to pray, right? And you know this is a thing that you should do. And then somewhat, you hear that scripture, you know, that Jesus said to the disciples when they're in the garden, could you not wait one hour with me? <laughs> you know? Could you not watch one hour with me? I've been there. However, rather, we should see prayer as the natural activity of someone who has a living, 
loving relationship with God. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 13. I'm going to read through it and then we're just going to unpack each verse and ask them if you ask them which way of kind of preaching that I like. I like to unpack verses. So we're going to unpack some verses. I'm going to move at pace here or so I'm going to be in trouble. So here we go. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. That they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, let's look at verse 5. And when you pray, you should be not like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. But surely I say to you, they have their reward. So, what's he saying here? He's saying, look, prayer isn't a performance. Now, I come from the Baptist tradition. I've been a Christian a number of years. In fact, many years. (laughs) I know I look good, but I've been a Christian a long time. (laughs) Now, the thing is this. When I used to go along to these Baptist prayer meetings, man, boy, there were some people that could pray. And when they started to pray, you just thought, well, why should I bother? <laughs> you know, they start, Almighty and everlasting Father, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. And Lord, we come before you this day. And they would start, man. And by the time you finish, man, when it's your turn to pray, you just think, man, they just prayed the whole book. So I might as well just quiet, you know. You felt intimidated. Or we'd have the six o'clock prayer meeting. Oh, there's nothing wrong with prayer meetings. Don't get me wrong. But the six o'clock prayer meeting before the service at 6.30. And I always remember a certain gentleman. He had a cloth cap, you know. And he sat down there. And he always started Almighty and everlasting Father, we want to thank you today that we have this opportunity to come before you as a people. We ask you for the service, Lord, that you will bless the preacher, and then you go on. And we pray for all those who are meaning in your name across the world this day. And it was all good stuff, but it was like... And what it told you was, they know their Bible. What it tells you is they've been Christians a long time. But what it also done for you as a young Christian, you was intimidated. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. The other thing is, prayer is not an opportunity to demonstrate religious piety. I 
goodness or holiness or godliness. Because when you read some of Ian Bounds' books, you know, the preacher is a man of prayer. His prayers tell you of his holiness. Man, you know, it's, if you meet those type of people, they're scary. And, uh, you know, one thing I've learned being in the vineyard is that we don't want to be scary. There is a time and a place to pray like that, but just the way you pray doesn't tell us how holy you are. And you can go to some places, you see, that the longer you pray and the more you pray, the more holy you are. You know, I've been to all night prayer meetings, it doesn't make me any more holy than the other person, right? And there are some people who are called to do that, but it's not... An opportunity to demonstrate how, relig- how you know, religiously pious you are and how, religious- how holy you are. Now, Jesus goes on to say, but when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I was discussing with Rick, you know, he was asking me, you know, how's the sermon going, how's the word going? And I was saying to him, you know, talking about it. And he says, hey, don't you know prayer is a reward? I said, yeah, I never thought of that. This is in the text. I said, oh, I must have missed it then. But here's the point, he said. You know, here's the point. Prayer is in the secret place. So instead of this performance, you go into your room or wherever you go to pray. And you do it in secret. Psalm 91 says this, he who abides under the shadow of the Almighty, who he who abides in the secret place, shall make the Lord his refuge. So what it's saying is this, that look, how it works in my life is when I get discouraged, and I do, just as you do, when I get upset, and I'm sure you do, the answer is to go to my place of prayer. I've recanted it on a number of occasions, but my former boss has now left us just before anyway, it was a penultimate week of term. I keep talking about it, but it's useful to, for the illustration. It was week 34, 35, and I'm preparing for a funeral. Though I'm not actually taking the funeral, I'm helping the family with the whole process and doing the brochure and all the rest of it. And I had to get it printed at the college. At the same time now, change the scene, the director of resources... Oh, she's finance director, asked me, look, we have architects in the building. Uh, we would like you to come and speak with them because we need someone who can talk to professional people. Your boss said people, but they weren't the right people, blah, blah, blah. Will you come at 10.30? I said, not a problem. As I'm going out in the night, I mentioned to my boss, oh, by the way, uh, Margaret wants me to uh, you know, meet the architects. He's like, you cannot do this. You are teaching. I think, what's wrong with the man? I said, well, we'll deal with it in the morning. Anyway, I come in. <laughs> Go down to the, send the information to Reaper Graphics. They were supposed to sort it out so I could go and teach at nine, etc. Anyway, as it happened, it didn't work out well. I had to stay down there. Now, the class that I have, they're second years. They don't normally turn up. I'm always there sitting on my own looking into space. You know, they kind of drop me when they can. But it's the final year, you know, so I'm not worried. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's okay. So I come to my room, come back just to see if anybody No one there except for two people in my room. Anyway, go back down, sort it out. About 10.30, I go into the library. Duh, duh, duh. My boss, and he's kind of... I'm thinking, oh my word. And, you know, some days I would be gracious, but I was just not in the mood for this nonsense. You know, I've been teaching for 12 years, and a man starts now. Your students need you. I'm thinking, yeah. 
Come to my office. You ever watched, you ever watched that? There was a um, t- sitcom called Jacko, uh, Brush Strokes. And you remember this famous Jacko in my office? <laughs> well, I, it's like, right, in my office. So I'm, <laughs> right, we're going there. He starts, and I'm, like, normally I would be cool, you know, just, you know, it says when you're facing, Proverbs tells you, you know, when you are facing someone who's having a go at you, if you keep silent and you keep cool, you're going to be all right. But I didn't. <laughs> I just said, I'm not, I thought to myself, I didn't put out with this stew. I said, look, Ray, do I do this every week? Am I not here 34 weeks out of 35? This is the exception, not the norm. Well, I think this, that, because what the issue was, was he was upset that the finance director had asked me. That was really the issue. But of course, he's given it all of this, like, I care about the students. I'm thinking, like, yes, I know you care about the students, but I teach them, so I know. Anyway, long and short of it, on the Monday morning now, I'm with the students in the classroom. In he comes, and he's got this kind of look on his face that says, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to. So he gives me this letter, which is kind of a disciplinary meeting, and investigation. I'm thinking... What is this guy on? Why can't he leave sooner? (laughs) I'm vexed. So when I come now to him, you know, I'm I'm praying this through with him. I'm saying, Lord, what is going on with this guy? You know, I want to batter him. (laughs) Don't tell me you've never felt like that. (laughs) You know, I want to call down fire and brimstone on him. You know? And I'm saying, Lord, this is testing my heart. Because the guy's been good to me, but it seems that because of his own bitterness, that it's affecting me. So I'm coming to prayer now, and I'm saying, I'm going to a secret place, because I could have made a fuss. I said, oh, Lord. So in the end, you know, the, the, the personnel folk and the, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the um, finance director say to me, look, then, 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 look, we want him to leave quietly. Just take, you know, a, a verbal warning and, and be done with it. So... That's what happened, you know. And because when I went up to the meeting now, I and a personal director have already made out what worked out what we're going to do, you see. And he's there wanting to kind of go into deep psychological reasons why I was not in the classroom. I said, look, man, I wasn't there. You said I should have been. That's fine. Do what you need to do. And out of there. But the thing rankled me for quite a while. But I had to go to the secret place and talk it through with God. Yes, I should have been in the classroom. But... It was the whole manner of the thing that upset me. But you see, the whole idea is if you go to the secret place, before you go chat it out to everybody, you talk it through with God. And God usually wants to show you some things in it. You know? I'm sure we've all had circumstances like that. So, prayer is in the secret place. This is where we build our secret life before God. You see, what you are in public is one thing, but where you really build your relationship with God is in the secret place, in the place of prayer. Psalm 73. This is the place of safety and refuge when our heart and our flesh fail us. This is the place where we develop our relationship with God. This is the place where rewards are won. I could develop that. You know, private victory in the secret place always precedes public victory. And that's Stephen R. Covey from his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But it's a true principle. If you're, if you're a person that spends a, a, a time building, developing your relationship with Jesus, it shows. It shows. Now, I'm suggesting that you spend three, four hours a day. No, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is this, that when God, if you go to the secret place, there is a reward there for you. 
Here's the funny thing. He, you go there in secret and God rewards you openly. Private victory precedes public affirmation. So there's a reward. There's an incentive for you to get in secret. To spend time with God. To develop your relationship with him. Verse 6 is to 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you have need before you ask for them. Prayer is not a religious observance or ritual or recipe used to appease God. So you think the more time you spend in prayer, the more God's going to reward you. If that's your attitude, is wrong. Remember the Pharisee, Jesus was being very, very satirical almost. You remember the Pharisee in, I think it's Luke 18. And Jesus, if you read the text, he says, the Pharisee came to pray and he said, I am not like other people. I pay my tithes twice a week. And the lovely bit of text says, thus the Pharisee spoke thus with himself. In other words, his prayers weren't going anywhere because it was all about him. He was carrying out a religious observance. He was just doing it because he thought it appeased God. Whereas the other man, he said, Lord, have mercy on me, the tax collector, a miserable sinner. And Jesus said, the tax collector went home more justified than the Pharisee. So, Jesus says prayer is not then religious performance, an opportunity to demonstrate religious piety, you know, goodness, religious observance, religious ritual used to appease God, I forget brownie points. That's not what prayer is about. So, how does Jesus encourage us to pray? In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Now, you know, that was a cataclysmic phrase for a Jew to be calling God their Father. Prayer is about our relationship with a Heavenly Father who knows our frame, knows we're but dust, but has compassion on us. It's relational. It's not a ritual. It's not an observance. It's about relationship. That God is my father. That God, who's in heaven and I am on earth, would deign to call me his son and his daughter. And would want me to come and converse with him and speak with him and have fellowship with him. Just as Adam and Eve had fellowship with him as they walked together in the cool of the garden. God is eager for us to come. And we come on the basis of sonship and daughtership. Not on the basis of religious observance, ritual and ritual. Prayer is about developing intimacy with God, our Father who encourages us, and we heard that scripture today, to boldly come to his throne of grace for mercy and grace for our time of need. See, here's a challenge for most of us. You see, God, if we start talking about him as a father, that causes problems for some of us. Because 
the minute we say, you say the word father, we project into our mind our experience of fatherhood. Now, for some of that, us, it's good. For some of us, it's not so good. So you might see God, I use the term, as a kind of a broken parent. So when you hear that word father, that's, you struggle with that. How could I come to God as a father? Because my father wasn't there. My father abused me. My father was a womanizer. My father, I don't even know him. But the reason you need to come is so that you might come to learn about the father. Who is the ultimate father. Who's always there. Who never abandons. Who always encourages. Who's not one of those fathers always telling you, you need to do better. You know, why couldn't you get your report? You get an A, well, you could have got an A star. <laughs> you know, I, as I, I jokingly say, some of you will kind of get this, you know, my dad would say to me, you say, look, Dennis, you need to do well because you're black. And I said, what is it, my fault? <laughs> yeah, is it my fault? <laughs> Never motivated me at all. So my brothers know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, high on Telling you what to do, admonition, low on nurture. You see, so if you project that onto God, it's hard to come to him as a father. But he wants us to come to us as a father. And here's the point. He wants us to come boldly. And if you look at that scripture there, it says that when you come to him, he doesn't want you to come like... Can I come in? It's like, ha, ah, Dennis, you are here. Come in. <laughs> yeah? That's how he wants you to come and that's how he receives you because he knows you. He knows you by name. And most of us, myself included, you know when you've been bad and you've said things that you shouldn't have said if you're in a relationship and you need to get forgiveness and that. The last thing you really want to do is come boldly to the throne of grace. It's more like, <laughs> I have been so bad. That's how we want to come, yeah? And we want to stay there for about three days, you know, so, you know, we, we feel that we've got it out of our system. But God says, no, confess your sin and come. Boldly to receive whatever you need the grace, the empowering presence, so you can be and do what God has called you to be and do, and mercy to cover your failure, your sin. Hallowed be your name. We honor his name because of who he is God Almighty. It's a kind of a strange thing that God is our Father and there's that intimacy, but he's also God of heaven, God of earth. Ecclesiastes says this, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So this other side of it, I want to hallow God's name in the, not only by the things that I say, but the way that I live. Yeah? That's how you hallow his name. It's not just, you know, we're not using his name blasphemous. Well, that's, yeah, but there's more to it than that. You hallow his name by the way that you live, as well as what you say. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? His rule, his government, his authority, where? In our personal lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, By the mercies of God, I beseech you, I encourage you to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable to him. In other words, Lord, I want your rule in my life. I want you to deal with darkness with me. I want to have your government, your order in my life. What about our family? You know, 
We want righteousness, joy, and peace. You know, if you come home from work, you're out, your husband, and you know, sometimes, you know, because of these mobile phones, you know, you don't even get home from work. I see it. Ding, ding, Eileen Hilton. I said, mm-mm. Right? <laughs> I've got it. You know, you get the call. You know, Stephen wasn't blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking, I wish we didn't have mobile phones. At least I had a chance to get home first before I got all the news, you know? You know, or you just get a call. But you get home, and when you get home, there's no righteousness, nor in peace. It's discord. Discouragement. Confusion. Nice. And all you want to do is like, I'm out of here. And you know, what you need, and I've had that. You know, I've come home, and Eileen and Stephen, or whatever it is, Rachel's not there, and she's kind of at university, but whatever. She's well, training to be a teacher. But, you know, I cooked the dinner, and he didn't come. 17-year-old boys, those of you who have them, you see. Uh, Well, see, when you share this stuff, you find out that most people who've got 17 to 18-year-old sons or daughters are the same, particularly sons. Oh, yes, Dad, Mum, leave dinner for me. And food is kind of my wife's love language. You know, she loves to cook the nice food. And I love to eat it. (laughs) Right? You know, I'm trying to... (laughs) Right? So, you know, she'll make the dinner there, and he's working at Nando's. He comes home, and the dinner's left on the side there. It was there yesterday. It was there on Thursday. It was been there on Friday. It's now in the fridge. You see, I don't want to waste it. Then it's, Dennis, would you speak to him? I'm thinking, yes. I said, well, look out. Forget about him. He will believe. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, it's about that letting go bit. You see, I'm saying, I am here. It's like, oh, I must get the dinner ready for Steve. I said, well, what about me? I will be here on time. The roast potatoes will be there. You know, the roast What about him? Never buy him. He's, he's leaving, man. He's, the hotel is, the house is just like a hotel. You know, what more, you know, one morning I got up to go to the toilet. I think it was, I think it was Saturday morning at about four o'clock. And as I come down, I see this silhouette in the door. It's my son. I said, where have you come from? Party. I said, fair enough. <laughs> I said, why are you worried, man? He'll be, he'll be gone to university in less than 18 months. But I know it's my son. And I need to be needed. Yes, being, yeah, I understand that. I don't know why I said that, but there you go, it's useful. <laughs> Anyhow, yes, it's about the fact that we want God's order in our home. So when these situations come up, this is what I used to do, particularly when the kids were at home and everybody was like, rah, rah, you know, my daughter from 13 to 17 was going through, you know, it was World War III between them. And I would go upstairs when I was spiritual. And I would pray. I said, now in the name of Jesus, Lord, your kingdom is righteousness, joy, and peace. And at the moment in my household, there isn't anything like that. But I'm your delegated authority. Now in the name of Jesus, I command righteousness, joy, peace in my household. Within an hour, everything's fine. When I didn't do that, I got down there with everybody. And God says, I feel bad. And I said, you know, I want to speak to you. And I'm reading my Bible. <laughs> You, know, you want to hide. Some of us are men. We are cave people. You know, when things go bad, we disappear into our room. <laughs> yeah? You know, yeah, some of you, I yeah, see confession is good for the soul, isn't it? So we want <laughs> his order in our family life and at work. You know, where you work, we want to be pleasing to him there, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether at home or away, to be pleasing to him. You know, your workplace is not a place that you just go there to endure. You are God's delegated authority there. So when things are not going well, you can pray with authority. You know, we just had a situation where, um, where our boss has left, as I've told you, and we have a new appointment. Now, it was really interesting. I happened to just walk into the staff dining room when one of the appointments was there. 
and his name was Robbie. So start to talk to Robbie. Robbie's from Zimbabwe, and we get into it. Then Bill turns up, and he's Asian, and we kind of talk it through. He's another candidate. Then I didn't meet the other two, but it was a guy we call Shiva and uh, Electra. So at the end of this, I, I kind of said to the lady, these are the four candidates? And I said to her, is this the Obama effect? <laughs> yeah, some of you got that. <laughs> yeah, because they were all people of, of color, as it were. Anyway, in the long and short of it, we prayed. Yeah, it's all right, it's okay. So we appointed um, Robbie, who is from Zimbabwe. And I was, you know, I was praying over the whole thing. But he's the right person. In fact, that, the, the personnel manager came up to me and she said to me, oh, you met the, the four candidates because I ended up taking them around the building and giving them the tour, blah, blah, blah. She said, who do you think? I said, Robbie. And she kind of went, yes. yes. She said, I don't know why we got, went through all this trouble. We could have just asked you, couldn't we? <laughs> That's what she said. All right. So you can pray for your workplace. Our nation, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Paul urges us that we should make prayers and entreaties for those that rule over us, for all kings, for all those in authority, that we might have what? A quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and sincerity. So we have a responsibility in our prayers to pray for our nation, not only just for ourselves and for our family, but for our nation. You know, we're going to hit recession. We're gonna, we need to pray for Mr. Brown. Whether you like him or not, it's not the issue. Whether you like Mr. Cameron or not, but we're called to pray. Mr. Obama or not, we need to pray for the guys. I mean, there are 20 of them now in Washington sitting down to devise together how they're going to stop this world recession. Did you notice that? They're all there. We need to pray for them because they don't have the power. They don't have the knowledge. But we can pray that God give them wisdom and knowledge and put sons of Issachar, people who have understanding of the times and what Israel should do, amongst them to counsel them so that they will do the right things. Of course, in our world, you know, who else? Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is whose? Thank you. The earth is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to one particular party or one particular group. It belongs to the Lord and all that dwells therein. So when we pray, we pray... For God's kingdom in all of these things. What is his will done on earth as in heaven mean? Well, there are many interpretations, but this is what I think it is. That we make Christ known on earth as he is known in heaven. And in heaven, Revelation 19 verse 16 says this. That he's known as the king of kings and the lord of lords. So... His will, his purpose is that every man and woman on the face of the globe should know that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we the church are charged with that responsibility to make him known. That's his will. That none should perish but all come to a knowledge of the truth about Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. Good one. Keep us alive with three square meals a day. That's a quote from the message. I like that. You can't better that. Lord, keep us alive with three square meals a day. And we know that the scripture tells us, um, Philippians 4.19, my God will provide all our, not wants, needs. Yeah? There's many things that you want. Yeah. You know? You want the Mercedes. (laughs) Right? But that's a want. That's not a need. Right? Yeah, that's a desire. It's not a bad one. Right? It's needs. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why? 
Unforgiveness is like drinking your own poison and expecting someone else to die. Yo, that was good, wasn't it? Unforgiveness is not mine. Unforgiveness is like drinking your own poison and expecting someone else to die. If you live with unforgiveness in your life, it's not killing the person you're directing it towards. My boss was bitter because the boss, because the new principal had displaced him, as it were. And the bitterness wasn't killing her. It was killing him. Bitterness will always kill you. Unforgiveness will kill you. Unforgiveness gives the enemy an opportunity to attack us or to attack you. Matthew 18, 24, go down there. You remember the, 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 the servant who was owed a big debt to the master? The master let him off. The same servant went along and his friend owed him a very small amount of money and he chucked him in prison. And Jesus said this, look, you see how that guy's behaved? He's going to go to prison. And here's the point. He says, and the tormentors are going to be sent to him. He said, what are the tormentors? It's not a group. The tormentors. <laughs> As I said yesterday. It's about the tormentors of anger and bitterness and resentment that goes on in your heart because of the fact that you have unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like kind of raw meat. When the enemy sees you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you give him a platform to attack you. That's why he works so hard to get you into a mode where you are in unforgiveness. Because he has permission to attack you. And finally, unforgiveness restricts God from releasing forgiveness to you. Unforgiveness restricts God from releasing forgiveness to you. That's what it says. He's going to forgive you on the basis of the way you forgive others. We must move quickly. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of us guys, well, some of the folk here, we're doing a course called Restore. It's a very powerful course. I think we're into week three. And I remember having a discussion, I think it was with Linda, and we were talking, I was talking about, I was going on my own journey as I am through this process, and as I was kind of thinking about this whole thing, I realized, you see, that there was areas of darkness in me that I wasn't aware of. See? Now, if I had time, I could take you back. But what you'll find is that there may be certain things that you do that are totally unconscious that you don't realize, the darkness, and, the result, and it's a result of something that's happened in your past. In my case, you know, in my first years as a little one, I was abandoned, but I was left in the children's home because my mum was unwell, and even in the womb she had problems because my mum and dad weren't married at that particular time. She didn't know she was going to keep me, so she was thinking, what shall I do? So she said, well, I might give him away. Now, although she didn't do that, that was communicated to me, and it affected my life. Way, way up now, I realised that one of the things I was really good at, you see, I can, I'm good with words. So, you know, if I meet a lady, I, can, I know exactly what to say. I know exactly what to say. I can hit the pitch, right? I can do it subconsciously. Don't even think about it. Oh, hello, blah, 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 right? <laughs> as I began to investigate this before the Lord, and as I began to go on my journey, I realized, I didn't realize, but it's a form of a misogyny. You say, well, what do you mean? Because what you do is you, 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 bring, you, you, you wheel them in, but you never close the deal because it's about revenge. 
It's about if you never if you flatter someone and you never close the deal, right? What you're doing is you're getting back at that person. And what happens is this, and this is what happened in my experience. That spirit in me, that darkness in me, connected with the darkness in my boss, my then boss, which she's a lady. And I would tease her and she would tease me. But the thing is, I had no intention of closing the deal. I go to bed with that. Right? And what happened was one day, she just changed. And I remember we had three, four disciplinaries a year. And I was wondering what was going on. Never understood it. Anyway, in the end, God was merciful to me and you know, got me through all of that. But it was only a couple of months back, I was, you know, Linda gave me this book and I started to read through the book and I saw it. What happened was the darkness in her and the darkness in me were attracted to each other. And when Jesus says, when he says here, look, deliver us, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What he's saying is here, where there is darkness in me, protect me from being attracted to darkness in others. That's what it's about. When we pray that, we're praying. Because there is darkness in us that we're not aware of. of. The enemy knows and he will pull people into your orbit where your darkness and their darkness will bring you together. So when you pray, Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you're saying, Lord, where there's darkness in me, protect me from being attracted to the darkness in others. It's a different slant on it, isn't it? We need to ask God to keep us as the apple of his eye. We need to find protection under the shadow of his wing. And we need to pray that the enemy will be confused concerning us. That's something we pray regularly as a leadership team here. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Where do we start out? We started out at our father. We finished. He is sovereign. Look, as you pray, when you go to the place of prayer, don't go there with your head down. Oh, Lord, the world is such a terrible place. Oh, I don't even know we can let our children out there. No. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is in total control. He's not sitting there biting his nails, wondering what Mr. Obama and what Mr. Brown and what Mr. This is going to do. He's in total control. He's totally composed. He has his King Jesus on his holy hill in Zion, Psalm 2. Yeah? He's not sitting there worried about what the kings and the prime ministers and the leaders of the, of the, of the, of the uh, what's it word, of the world are doing. Yours is the kingdom. He has the power. He has the glory. So Jesus says, pray in this manner. And this is how I'm going to put it together for you. God, you are my father. I will honor your name by what I say. And what I do. I want your rule, authority and will to be achieved in my life, my family, work and nation. Keep us alive, Lord, with three square meals a day. Release forgiveness to me as I release others in forgiveness. Where there is darkness in me, protect me from being attracted to darkness in others. You're in total control. All power and glory belong to you. Amen.